Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. All right, hi church. Um, hope you really enjoyed Christmas and had a good time uh, at the gathering together. And I just really hope that uh, you're able to have a good Sunday celebration. Uh, I'm currently in the United States. Uh, I'll be visiting HMCC of Ann Arbor, uh, giving an update there for the church, uh, everything that's been going on in the past year for our church. So please keep that in prayer. Um, but I'm really looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning over video sermon. And also during the video sermon, we'll have some time to have more interactive discussions. So uh, really looking forward to bringing God's word. Uh, and I'm, I was really hoping to preach this in person, but uh, unfortunately, circumstances dictate otherwise. But what you can do is just turn to your neighbor and, and just encourage them and say, get ready to listen to God's word. And then while you're at it, turn to Luke 24, and we're going to look at verses 13 to 35, verses 13 to 35 of Luke 24. And while you're turning there, uh, you'll notice that we're starting a new sermon series called 2020. And we're looking into saying, you know what, God, there are so many things that happened in this past year in 2019. And we want to be able to see with your eyes, to be able to see with perfect vision, all the things that you have done in the past and also into the future. And so this sermon today, this morning, we're going to be talking about hindsight. Uh, Many of you have heard the phrase, everything in hindsight is 2020. And so we're going to be talking about how do we look back and see what it is that God has done this past year. How do we actually make sense of everything that's been going on? So I wanted to start with this one question for you this morning is, is what was 2019 all about? What happened in 2019? Uh, first things probably come to mind are the protests in Hong Kong. If we think broadly worldwide, protests all over the world, whether it's in, in Spain and Chile and in other regions in the Middle East and even in the U.S. Um, in the U.S., impeachment was a big deal that's been going on, the trade war between China and the U.S. There's so many things that make up what happened in 2019. And, and the question is, how do we make sense of everything? With everything going on in the world, with everything going on in our personal lives, how do we make sense of everything? And how do we understand what God was speaking to us during that time? And everyone has a different opinion of what 2019 was about. Uh, YouTube Rewind was a, a one, I heard uh, in some ways sarcastically, a wonderful recap of everything that happened in YouTube. So I'll spare some of you who really didn't like the video and I, I won't force you to watch it all over again. But so many people and companies all come out with their own perspective of looking back at 2019. So I wanted to show you actually Google searches perspective on 2019 because they really believe that 2019 was a year all about heroes. And so just to give us a glimpse of what happened and and what people searched for, let's watch this video together. All right. You know, in some ways, it's it's really inspiring to see all the things that God has done. Just looking at the footage, and and in some ways, it, it just brings some emotions out of us to say, you know what, yeah, 2019 was a year all about heroes, at least from Google's perspective. But the question for us is, What do we think of when we think of 2019? What happened in our personal lives? How do we make sense? What was the theme for us as individuals? And unless we've spent some time reflecting, unless we've thought about it in a deeper way, 
most of us, we would just come up with a laundry list of just things that happen. I went to school, I went to work, I had this project, I took this trip. But the problem is, so often, we don't dig deeper into what it is that God has been speaking to us this whole time. And the unfortunate truth is, if we don't really discover for ourselves what it is that God is saying, then we allow others, whether it's corporations or advertisements or commercials, to dictate for us what happened this past year. There's a famous quote that is often quoted, uh, given to Winston Churchill. Uh, it's, the authorship is, you know, debatable, but it says, history is written by the victors. And my question is, is your history in 2019 going to be written by other people or other things? Or is it going to be a, by God and what God has done in your life? Because not everything in hindsight is clear 2020. There are different ways to see history and look back, and we want to look into that as we look at the story in Luke 24. So I want to give us a couple things. There are two different ways that we can look back. And I want to share this uh, first point uh, in a way that we don't want to follow, and the second point in a way that we want to follow. So the first point that we don't want to do is without God in the process. We don't want to look back. We don't want to see hindsight without God in the process. So hopefully you've turned to Luke 24, verses 13 to 35 by now. I want to start off by reading verses 13 to 18. It says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And we'll stop there. And as we look into this passage, right in the beginning, we see there are two things that happen when we process without God. There's two things. And uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, if you haven't already downloaded our mobile app, you can follow along with the sermon notes. And the first thing that we see that happens when we process without God is that we dwell on the past. We dwell on the past. We notice that two of disciples, Jesus' disciples, were talking about all these things that happened. All these things that had happened, referring to the betrayal, the, the, the torture of Jesus Christ, the trial that happened, the empty tomb, even Jesus' ministry leading up to that point. And we see that the passage starts by saying that very day. So that very day, the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus was the very day that Jesus had risen from the grave. And right here, we notice that Jesus, he appears to these two disciples walking, but he can't recognize them. They, they don't recognize who Jesus was and, and they didn't think of anything. And so when he asks them the question, they just respond and Right before they actually end up responding, we notice something about their countenance. In verse 17b, it says, And they stood still, looking sad. And you have to imagine this for a second. You're walking along the road, talking to someone about all these crazy things that have happened. All of a sudden, the stranger walks up to you and says, What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, two of them, they stop. 
you know, just imagine it's like a dramatic stop. And as they stop dramatically, it says they're looking sad. Their, their countenance was so obvious. And the NIV, it says their faces were downcast. So before we even hear about what it is the disciples said, we notice that they were sad. They were downcast. We know how they were feeling. And we can probably guess that as they were dwelling on the past, all these emotions were coming up into their mind. Well, this is the ironic part. The ironic part is while they were sad, that all these things that Jesus had said was going to happen were ended up happening. So the first irony is that they were sad during the first Easter. Jesus had risen from the grave. Easter is something that we know to be celebratory, amazing, now in modern day. But they were sad. They were downcast, even though it was the joyful day of Jesus' resurrection. The second irony is that they think Jesus is the one who doesn't know all the things that had happened. So these two things, these, these truths that it's Easter, that Jesus is standing right in front of them, for whatever reason, they can't see it, they can't understand it. And they're overcome with sadness and with grief that they're not able to understand what God is doing. It's because they had hoped Jesus was the Messiah. In verse 21, later on, it says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but they couldn't understand. I mean, this happens to us oftentimes where sometimes at some point we are so overcome with emotion. Usually it's caused by when we're so self-focused, when all we can think of is the past, when all we can think of is the regret, the things that didn't go well, the things that we made mistakes in, the things that we failed in, the things that we suffered defeat in, that we cannot see the very things that God was trying to do in that moment, in that present. For myself, uh, I, I, I kind of had this reputation when I was growing up. Uh, people called me Emobo, Ebo, not Pebo, Ebo, Emobo, you know, because not because I, you know, wore black and like put on all the makeup and stuff like that, but because just my countenance was just like, uh, you know, like I, I just didn't look very happy. Whenever something would happen, I would just get very like inward focused and self-centered. And this would happen in a couple different contexts. I think first, First scenario, you know, was when, when I have a birthday party. And I remember um, my friends celebrated and they gathered a whole group of people. This was supposed to be a, you know, a fun occasion. And usually the birthday person is the most happy, the most surprised. But I remember sitting there in that room and in that birthday surprise uh, celebration just thinking like, oh, like, oh, why didn't that person come? Or, you know, why didn't that person show up? And there could have been a lot of different reasons, but my main concern was, uh, my reputation and I would just you know even though outwardly I tried to maintain a, a positive atmosphere just inwardly inside I was just like oh you know just kind of down a little bit discouraged same thing happened with uh, my university studies I uh, ended up applying to a lot of different universities didn't get into all the ones that I wanted to go to uh, had to settle for my backup which was University of Michigan which now I consider as one of the best universities in the world, um, go blue. But when I was received the news that I didn't get into all of these schools, but I had to go to University of Michigan, I was just downcast. I was like frustrated. I, I, I didn't have anything to say. People would ask me, oh, where are you going? I'm like, University of Michigan. And, and I just realized 
And now looking at hindsight, I realized, wow, I was so inward focused, so self-focused in the things that had happened in my life. In, in occasions that were supposed to be good, celebratory, because of the way that I saw so much of myself, because of the way I looked so inward at myself, I couldn't help but look and see nothing good in that moment. And I'm wondering how many of us, we dwell so much on the past. How many of us, we look so much at the things we regret. The things that we didn't do, the things that we should have done, but we didn't do. The things that we shouldn't have done, but we did. The missed opportunities that we had at work, with our families. And we just focus on so many of those things that didn't go according to the way that we wanted, that it just overcomes us and it, and it totally ruins any aspect of celebration, of surprise, of hope, of joy, and of seeing what God was doing through it all. And I wouldn't realize many until many years later that God put me at University of Michigan so that I could experience God and the gospel for myself. Because I didn't grow up being a Christian, but it was at the University of Michigan I experienced God in a personal way. God is challenging us maybe to stop looking at ourselves, but to look at Him. Put our hope in Him say, and ask God, what are you doing in this situation? Psalm 43, verse 5, in the NIV, it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. It's okay to be downcast. It's okay to be sad. But the key for us is to be able to say, You know what, God? In those moments that I feel sadness, in those moments I feel anger and frustration, what is it that I do? Do I turn inward and focus on myself? Or do I say, you know what, God? I want to put my hope in you. I want to trust that you have something greater for this. So Jesus uh, warns us and he explains. And Luke, in this passage, he shows that when we dwell in the past, this is how we process something without God. The second way, uh, second thing that happens when we process without God is that we make the wrong conclusions. Let's continue in reading verses 19 to 24. Verses 19 to 24. It says, And he said to them, and this is Jesus talking, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of her company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So right here, we notice there are three things, three statements that the disciples make that are partially correct, but the parts that they are missing are totally the biggest part that they're missing. There's three statements. The first one is verse 19. They say, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Indeed, Jesus was a prophet. But the problem is the partial truth is that he wasn't just a prophet. If we notice back in Luke, there were several times where Jesus asked Peter and his disciples, who do you say I am? And at one point, Peter and the disciples, they said, you are the Son of God. You are the, Messiah. You are the Christ. 
For them to say he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word misses the divine nature of who Jesus is. The second one, wrong conclusion that they make. Verse 20 says, How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Again, partially correct. Yes, it was the chief priests. Yes, it was the rulers of Israel who condemned Jesus to death. But the disciples also bore some part of the responsibility. The disciples who fled, the disciples who denied him, the disciples who did nothing to save Jesus from the torture and the death that he would go into. They took no responsibility. And it was only a partial truth that they spoke in light of that. And finally, in verse 21, they said, Besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Which is very true. Again, it was the third day. But they left out a very miraculous part, which they didn't know at that time, but that Jesus Christ was risen again. And they must have forgotten at some point, because Jesus had said several times before that he would rise again, that he would die, be crucified on the third day, rise again. And these wrong conclusions, in a very prophetically ironic way, leads them to make that last statement in verse 24. It says, But him they did not see. And of course, in that statement, they were referring to the disciples who went to the tomb after the women. Because after the women said, Hey, he's risen, we saw him. Uh, and then he, the tomb was empty. So disciples ran after. And the disciples said, Him, but him, they did not see. And it makes these two disciples, Cleopas and the next one with him, it makes them conclude that Jesus was not with them. And it they come to the wrong conclusion. In fact, they come to the wrong conclusion that prophetically, in a way, it's speaking about those two disciples' own situation. Him they did not see. Even though Jesus was walking with them on the road to Emmaus, Him they did not see. Their eyes were blinded, their eyes were closed, that they could not see their own risen Savior walking alongside the road with them. How about us? How many times, how many situations, how many instances do we only partially understand the truth to the point where we make the wrong conclusions about what God has been doing in the past? How many of us, we only take partial responsibility for the things that have happened in the past? We blame others. We blame others for, for the things that have happened. We blame our boss. We blame our family members. We blame our spouse. We bl blame our kids. We blame our friends. And we say, oh, it's because of those things, those people that did other things, that I'm in the situation that I'm in. And we don't take full responsibility. Some of us, we reckon, we only think that God is partially in control. Just how, like, Jesus was only partially in control of the crucifixion. It was the, the priests. It was, he was only a prophet. He wasn't really God. And because we only believe God is partially in control, then we just tend to take everything into our own hands. We think, oh, well, God, you know, because you only did certain things, that means I need to work harder. I need to do more of this. You know, my faith and my church life, it, it kind of just, let's just make it steady and stay in this little box, but I'm not going to really depend on God. And it turns us inward to be self-sufficient, 
to double back and say, you know what, God, I'm just going to try to do more, to try to work harder so that I can get where I want. It, it causes us to do everything against the gospel because the gospel is opposite of everything that the disciples did. The gospel is full acceptance of the responsibility. The gospel is full remembrance of what God has done or promised. The gospel is full acknowledgement of God who is in control of the future. And until we make full acceptance of the responsibility, full acknowledgement of God, then we're always going to come to the wrong conclusion when we look back into the past. When we look in hindsight, it's going to be fuzzy, it's going to be blurry. And it's not going to be in line with what God has been doing for us. At this time, I want us to just pause and take a break to pair up with uh, two or three people next to you, so make groups of three or four, and just discuss some of the questions, and just process some of the things that uh, we've been talking about just so far in the first half of this message. The first question I want us to talk about is, number one, why is it easy to dwell on the past and focus on ourselves when looking back? Why is it so easy? And the second question is, what are some potential wrong conclusions that we've had regarding the past year? Just look at those questions. They'll be up on the screen. Just talk about it together with some people around you. And just allow this to be a way that we can process together as we continue in our message. So go ahead and just do that for a couple minutes, and then we'll come back together after that. All right, let's come back together, and, and hopefully you had some good discussion. Thank the person next to you. So, so far we talked, uh, in the first point, we saw what happens when uh, it's, it's done without God in the process. And so now as we look into the last passage of this section, we see what would it be like if we encounter God in the process? What would it be like if we encounter God in the process? And we look into it, it's completely different. Let's read verses 25 to 35 together as we go through this. And so this is uh, Jesus now talking, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road? When he opened to us the scriptures, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As we look into this passage, the only way that we're going to be able to see 2020 in hindsight is when we encounter God personally in the process of looking back. We see because his own followers were so lost, right here in verses 25 to 35, Jesus encounters them. And the way that he encounters them is very important. He encounters them in three ways. 
And these three ways are, I think, ways that we personally need to encounter Jesus as we look back in hindsight in 2020. The first way that he encounters them is that he rebukes them. The first way is that he rebukes them. Right in the beginning, we see he uses these two phrases, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Those are not really nice words. Those are very words that you would only criticize or condemn someone with. In the AMPC version, it says, sluggish in mind, dull in perception. Jesus could have, been say, could have said a lot of different things, but he chose those words. And there's only a couple options. He was saying that they were clueless, stupid, they had no faith, they couldn't connect the dots, that they were just totally blind. They had no idea what was going on. And I'm wondering how many of us, we like to be called dull, sluggish, and slow, and foolish. I mean, personally, uh, you know, I've been called slow, and it's not great, um, but I've learned to be secure. Um, Erica, my wife, she's fast, and I'm a little bit slower, so when we give announcements, everyone falls asleep while I give it, and everyone's like trying to figure out what Erica's saying when she's going at it. But when we think about it, we don't like it. We don't like that feeling. We don't like it when people call us out and say, you're wrong, or you're like this, or that's something that you don't do well. Because it, it digs at something in us. We're like, Jesus, why would you do this? And in fact, he did it many other times. Matthew 17, 7, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and also to disciples who tried to do a miracle, he says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Just a blanket statement like, you're faithless, you're twisted, what's wrong with you? And we're wondering, Jesus, why would you say something like this? And we see the answer here later, a couple chapters in Matthew 23, 23. Sorry, Matthew 23, 12. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm wondering if Jesus' intention was to wake them up. Was to say, you're looking at it totally the wrong way. That You don't see with the eyes that I see. You don't think with the thoughts that I think. I'm wondering how many of us, we cannot make sense of what God is doing is because we think that we know what we're doing. It's because we are all steeped in pride, arrogance. Maybe it's not overt, but maybe it's a subtle depth in our hearts to somehow think that we know that what it is that we're doing. We understand everything that has happened. It makes sense in my mind. I, I did this right. And, and this is the result of that produced. Or man, I did all these things and I just can't understand why because everything I did was correct. And we hold this proud and unrepentant attitude that Jesus says, you know what? You need to be humble. So he rebukes them. Second thing that he does, he explains to them. He explains to them. Usually when God is explaining to us something, it's because he thinks that we lack perspective. Verse 26, he says the phrase, was it not necessary? Now, usually when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the right answer. It's not because he's trying to really figure out if they can give him the right answer or not. It's because he already knows. He's trying to bring up a point. And what is he, Jesus saying? He's saying, it is necessary. It was so necessary 
for Christ to go and suffer. Matthew 16, verse 21 in the ESV, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. How many of us we realize, I wonder if the disciples realized that that was the intention that Jesus had from the beginning. It was necessary for him to suffer. Acts 2.23, the disciples finally get it, get it. Peter begins delivering this amazing sermon. In verse 23, Acts 2.23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's saying, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge. God already knew. God had this plan. He, for, he, he had foreknowledge of it. It was his plan. It was his purpose. It was necessary. Most things in life change when you understand that God is sovereign, that he has a purpose and a plan for everything that he does. When you believe God is sovereign, that he's in control, he's omnipotent, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good. That everything, even the worst things, even the most difficult things happen for a reason. Then your perspective on the past completely changes. John C. Broger in this book called Self-Confrontational Manual, he says this, he says, Anger and bitterness are two noticeable signs of being focused on self and not trusting God's sovereignty in your life. When you believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who belong to Him and love Him, you can respond to trials with joy instead of anger or bitterness. I want to read that, that phrase again. Anger and bitterness are two noticeable signs of being focused on self and not trusting God's sovereignty in your life. When you believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who belong to Him and love Him, you can respond to trials with joy instead of anger or bitterness. What an amazing insight. I'm wondering how many of us, when we think of all the things that have happened, we get, we get angry. We start to doubt. We, 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 we accuse God of being unfaithful. We think, God, why did you do this to me? Last week we talked about trials. and We talked about different reasons and perspectives that we might have on trials. But for some of us, we just can't get over the fact of all the things that have happened that seem unjust, unfair. God, why would you allow this to happen if you're so good? How is this part of your plan? Well, all the while, we don't realize that there's angerness and, and bitterness in our hearts. This resentment, not only against other people, but against God himself that's developing in our hearts. And we don't realize that sometimes that we're totally off, that we don't realize that we need to understand the sovereignty of God. That we don't know that when we see everything in light of who God is, how God's been faithful to us, how God works all things together for good. And when we have that perspective, when we start from that statement, that everything else starts to make sense and reinforce who God is and His grace. So Jesus, he rebukes them, he explains to them, and then finally he stays with them. He stays with them. Verse 28 
I just want to read it for us again. It says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, being Jesus, acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, as the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. My first question was, why did Jesus pretend that he was staying with them? It's not like the, you know, when Asian families eat dinner together, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to pay for the bill. I'm like, no, 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 I want to pay for the bill. All the while, you know, and then they go back and forth and back and forth, and you know, really, both of them don't want to pay the bill. They really want the other to pay for the bill, but really to save face, they're trying to pay for the bill. Right? It's, I don't know if Jesus was saying that, oh, yeah, 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 don't, I, I'm just going to keep going on to the next town. Oh, no, 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 please stay with it. I don't know how many times they went back and forth. And maybe secretly Jesus, I mean, Jesus kind of was Asian because he was in Jerusalem and, and that's technically Asia. But Jesus, my understanding is that Jesus actually probably wanted to stay with them. So we probably didn't really put up that much effort to push on, but he wanted to stay with them. And what was the reason? I'm wondering if it was because he knew that as he encountered them, even though he opened the scriptures on the road, he, was, he called them foolish. He explained to them that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, but yet they didn't still understand who he was or what he was saying. But maybe he knew that it was an encounter with them, him staying with them, that they would realize and experience who Jesus was and all of the things that had happened would lead to God's glory. If nothing else would work, this would be the encounter that worked. We see in verse 32, after Jesus breaks the bread, the two, he vanishes and the two disciples, their only response were, were our hearts not burning within us? Right in that moment with that statement, you realize everything just clicked in that moment. For them to say, were our hearts not burning within us? That means everything they had, they had just experienced, the road, the explanation, him telling him all the scriptures and the explanation of why that happened. But not just that, why the tomb was empty, why Jesus had to die, why he was crucified, why he had to go through all the torture and discouragement, why he had to go on trial, why he walked with the disciples and everything that had happened before all of a sudden made sense. And it allowed them to come to a completely different conclusion than what they had concluded earlier. Verse 34. Their conclusion was, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. It was an encounter with Christ. When Christ stayed with them, when he dwelt with them, when he was with them, that encounter with him changed their whole perspective. And everything in hindsight became 2020. Sometimes we need reminders. Sometimes we need to encounter God in a fresh new way to be reminded of all the things that God has already been doing, but just see it in a fresh new way. All the things. So when we have that realization, when we have that encounter, all the things that happen, they're not just a list of things that just happen, but they're all little points of God's goodness and faithfulness. And for me personally, when I look back at 2019, I could say, you know what? 2019 a year was a year of I fasted, I got married, I preached for two months. Um, what else happened? I, I grew in prayer. Our church moved locations frequently. And that's all about happened in our church and in my life. Awesome. Or I can say, you know what? Wow, 
God graciously gave me a wife who is amazing and loving that I could get married to. Uh, God used two months where, you know, Pastor Seth was on missions and traveling, different things like that, so I could have the privilege of preaching and sharing God's word, allowing me to discover and develop more of my calling and where God wanted me to go in the future. I grew in prayer. God used all the situation in Hong Kong and the situation on the campuses to make me desperate so that I can grow in my prayer life in ways that I never would have been able to do by myself. And God used even our church moving locations to reinforce and to help us to see and help me to see, God, how good and how faithful and how much He will constantly and always provide for us as a church. It's just a totally different perspective and way of seeing things. And it wasn't until I really encountered God in those moments, from those situations, that I realized, wow, you know what, God? It's not just a laundry list of things that happened. Everything that happened is, is uh, they all have your fingerprints on it. They all have your marks on it because, God, you're so good and you use everything to work out things for your purposes. My question is, when is the last time that you encountered God? When's the last time that you just set aside some time to say, God, I just want to connect with you. I just need a fresh encounter of your Holy Spirit. I know that during this time, during the holidays, some of us are still working and it's still busy. Others of us have extra time and we end up just going out with friends, having dinners, doing activities, and we run around from thing to thing to thing. But we don't pause to stop for a moment to say, you know what, maybe I need to take a personal retreat. Maybe I need to take a break and just say, God, I want to encounter you. Because I'm thinking about all the things that have happened. It just appears to be a laundry list of things that have happened. I don't see what God is doing. Maybe God is saying, I want to encounter, I want to stay with you. I want to encounter you so that you can see all the things I've been doing in your life. I want to challenge us to take a personal retreat. Spend a half day a whole day, a couple days, whatever is possible for you in your life stage, in your situation, just to pause and run away from all the things that are going on. Just retreat for a moment to say, God, what is it that you're doing in my life? I need to encounter you to understand. And I believe he will because God is with us. There's so many promises in God's word where he is with us, he dwells with us, he stays with us. From the Old Testament, Leviticus 26, verse 11 to 12, in the ESV, it says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. He says, I will make my dwelling among you. And that same promise, not only in the Old Testament, when things began, but also at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God in sending his son Jesus Christ down for us. That he was with us. And he, wants us to, he wants to help us make sense of everything that has happened in our lives in the last year. Because saying there's something greater that I want to show you. Some greater thing that I want to help you process through so that you can see everything in light of my faithfulness. And this is the gospel message that he comes and to dwell with us. In Hebrews 
chapter 10, verses 19 to 22 in the NLT. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, he came. By his blood, it allows us to come in. His cross, his sacrifice, his death allows us to come and meet with him, allows us to have a relationship with him, allows us to know who he is, what he's doing, his greater purposes. All the things that have happened in the past, we can make sense of it, understand, you know what, God is still good. And we can know that even in eternity, we're going to be with him for eternity. And so that's why we can go into the presence of God and see and realize and encounter God and say, God, you've been so good. And at the close of this year, 2019, we can say, you know what, God? Even though there have been so many things that happened that I couldn't make sense of, that now that I have this intimacy, this presence with you, this dwelling with you, that now I can understand all the things that you've been doing in my life. And I can move forward into this next year, 2020, to see 2020 in hindsight, everything that God has been doing. That's why the one thing for this morning is that if we want to understand what God has done, we must personally encounter His Son. If we want to understand what God has done, we must personally encounter His Son. I want to give us some next steps for this morning, just some quick things. And I want to use the acronym BRB because you got to be right back. Sometimes you need to take a personal retreat and just say no to social media and you know, turn off your phone for a little bit and just say, God, I just want to be with you. The first B is block out time for a personal retreat to reflect and encounter God. And I, I know I already shared this earlier, but I, want, I, I just want to put this extra encouragement and extra challenge to some of us. To say just, even if you're working, take a weekend, take a Saturday. Just say, God, for this Saturday, I'm just going to block it off and I'm just going just to have a personal retreat. Parents, families, find a, find a babysitter for an afternoon. And instead of having a date night together, just go off your separate ways and go find a mountain to reflect on. If you're working and busy, take a day off. Take an take a annual leave and just spend a day just saying, God, I want to reflect. I want to encounter you. I want to personally just meet with you to understand what it is that you're doing. If you don't have work or family and you have nothing else to do, then you have no excuse. Take a personal retreat. Find some time. The second one, R, during your personal retreat, then review the memories that are emotionally charged. Review the memories that are emotionally charged. There must be so many things that have happened this past year that bring up different feelings of anger, of sadness, frustration, discouragement, apathy, hopelessness, especially with everything that's been going on in Hong Kong. There's so much to process. And it's and it's precisely those emotions, precisely those moments that sometimes we don't want to revisit, that we need to. And we need to allow God to work with us, to help explain, to rebuke us in those moments, to, to explain things to us in that moment. Let God explain it. And then allow Him to encounter you, stay with you, meet you, so that you can understand what He's doing through all of it. Last thing, BRB, is begin the new year with God's Word by joining the two-year Bible reading plan. The reason why I put this in is 
Because for so many of us, we have a hard time of really understanding what it is that God is doing. The best way to know what God is doing is to get to know God. The best way to get to know God is to read His Word. Is to read His Word. And for some of us that, you know, we haven't been or we're not as literate in the Bible as that we like to be, you know, we've, we've tried so many different times before and we failed. I want to encourage you, let's start fresh together as a whole church. January 1st, we're going to be starting a new Bible reading plan. We're going to be doing a two-year Bible reading plan. And it's going to break down the whole entire Bible so that we can read through the whole thing in two years. That just means one or two different chapters per day. It's really doable. And if you just read it through, it takes five or six minutes. And maybe another five or six minutes to jot down some notes, some thoughts, some observations, and a prayer. And I want to challenge you, if you don't have ten minutes to spend with God on a daily basis so you can know who He is, then I want to challenge you to really think through what is going on with your schedule. So commit and join us as we start this new Bible reading plan, as we read together, and I pray that it will be an encouragement for all of us as we read it together starting in January. So with that, what I wanted to do was just close out with this last video. And it's not just a review of 2019, but it's actually a review of the last decade of 2010 all the way to 2019. And when I was watching it, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a business, uh, world news, world events kind of video. But as I was looking at it, I was like, wow, God, so much has happened in the world. And I remember what I was doing and how I was feeling when those events happened. And you know what, God, for you to be here working in the way that you're working here right now in my life and in this world, God, you are so good. You are so good. So I want us to watch this video with lens, with eyes of faith, understanding and seeing who God is and what he's been doing. And in light of that, be able to respond and just come back to God and say, God, everything in hindsight in 2020 is because of your goodness and your faithfulness. So have a good rest of the Sunday celebration. I pray that you will close out and just connect with God on a personal basis. Have a good rest of the service. Let's watch this video together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.